In the Gospel of John, Jesus spoke often about the hour in which he would be glorified. As we continue reading through that Gospel, we discover that there was more than one way that Jesus was to be glorified. Sometimes when he spoke of being glorified, he spoke of being lifted up on the cross and his death. That glorified Jesus. Other times he speaks of his rising from the dead, leaving that tomb to live forever. His resurrection glorified Jesus. And then other times when he talks about being glorified, he is speaking of his return to the Father in the heavenly realms. Today, on Easter Sunday, we are going to allow the Lord's Supper to take us back to all three of those scenes. We will see Jesus glorified on the cross. We will see Jesus glorified by his resurrection. We will see Jesus glorified in the heavenly realms. We invite you to come to the table with us today and to behold the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. When they came to a place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since we are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Someone had taken a wooden plank and they had scrawled on it, This is the king of the Jews. And they wrote it in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, so that anybody who was walking by could see the sign, read it, and have a laugh. Because it was a joke. It was a way to 
mock a man who had ridiculous pretensions. This man actually claimed that he was the Christ, and the people mocked him for it. He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. If you really are the king of the Jews, Jesus, then save yourself. And even the other condemned criminals joined in. Come on, Messiah, get off the cross. And while you're at it, help us down too. And so they go adding insult to murder. Because it's not enough that Jesus had been spat upon and whipped and cursed and now nailed by his hands and his feet to the cross. It's not enough that he's been condemned to die on trumped-up charges of sedition and heresy and disturbing the peace. Now Jesus must now also be punished for calling himself the King of the Jews. But of course, that is precisely who Jesus is. He is the King of the Jews. He is truly the Christ, the anointed one of God. He is the ancient of days coming to claim the throne of David. This is Jesus Christ, the Word of God, who was with God in the beginning and through whom the whole cosmos were created. This is nothing less than God's only begotten. He is divinity incarnate. He is God's love wrapped in human skin. And it boggles the mind. Because if this truly is the Son of God, then what is He doing dying on a cross? You see, that's the confusing thing. We, if we know anything about God, it's that God doesn't come down as a human and is then killed by His own creation. God doesn't die And yet, Jesus is dying. And so it seems to be quite clear. It looks like Jesus isn't God. He's not from God. Jesus is just a dying man. And so it's no wonder that his disciples, after witnessing his death, could only say to one another, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And you can hear the implication there, but we were wrong. Now, we know the rest of the story. We know it because we gather every week around this table to proclaim the resurrection. And today, of all days, we join our voices to the millions of Christians around the world who proclaim that Christ is risen. But the resurrection only makes sense in light of the cross. And this is why when Jesus invites us to the table, He lays out for us the bread and the wine and tells us to eat and drink of it to proclaim what? To proclaim His death. To proclaim His death until He comes. Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, took the broken bread, gave it to His disciples and said, This is My body which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. 
And when Jesus says, this is my body, he doesn't mean the bones and the muscle that give him strength. Jesus means that this is his body that is gasping and failing to draw breath on the cross. Jesus gives the cup and he says, this cup that has been poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And that blood isn't the blood in his veins, it's the blood that's being poured out from his hands and from his feet and from his side. You see, when Jesus invites us to this table, he draws us back to that lonely hillside where he, our glorious Savior, is bleeding to death. He points us to the cross where by all appearances it seems as though Jesus is utterly defeated, but he points us there and he says, this is the moment of my glory. You see, we don't worship a God who creates the world and then steps back from it. We don't worship an aloof creator. We worship a God instead who takes the form of a human being, a servant, and who bears the aches and the pains of human life in his own body, who experiences the darkest of human depravity. In fact, he looks into the eyes of this broken world, the world that is crucifying him, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. So every week, we come to this table, and we come bearing our own burdens and our own sins. You may be here at this table weighed down by something, a secret, a sickness, a shame, or maybe you're just here and you're tired. Maybe you're here and you're not quite sure why. You know, this Easter morning, I am coming to this table burdened. I'm burdened by the thoughts of 151 Kenyans who were killed in Garissa this week, 147 victims and four gunmen. You know, we come to this table bringing with us thoughts of our dying world, and we come to the table because it's at the table that Jesus brings us to the cross where we see Jesus Christ, the anointed one of God, and he is dying there too. But of course, that's not the end of the story, is it? On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the door locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. As Roy said, the crucifixion was not the end of the story. We know the passage as well, that on the first day of the week, early on that Sunday morning, just as the sun was coming up, 
a group of women were making their way to the tomb. And their intent was, was to finish the burial process. But when they got there, what a surprise. The tomb was open. Jesus was gone. We read those stories with amazement. We read those stories with joy in our heart. There are other stories about things that happened that day as well. Jesus did rise from the dead. But it seems like that one of the first things he wanted to do was be back with his disciples. We have stories in Matthew and in Luke and in John where it seems like that Jesus just could not wait to return and to be with the disciples once again. And the interesting thing is that so many of the stories about the resurrected Jesus being reunited with his disciples include the very human thing of eating together. Now, I don't know that Jesus was necessarily hungry for food. It seems like more he was hungry to eat with them. For example, in Luke, and Jesus makes his first appearance in that upper room. There the disciples have been huddled together, not knowing what to do. Their leader was gone. He had been killed. What do we do now? And suddenly Jesus was there. And one of the first things he said to them was, do you have anything to eat? Isn't that so human? Isn't that so much like family? Anytime we gather together as family in our homes, it doesn't take long for someone to say, do you have anything to eat? We enjoy so much sharing our love by sharing food together. Another story, it happened in John, John chapter 21, where Peter had come to loose ends not knowing what to do next, He had seen the risen Jesus. He knew he was alive, but now what does he do? And he said, I'm going fishing. Do you remember that story? And several of the other disciples said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out to the Sea of Galilee and they were fishing, had no success at all. And yet, as they were sitting there grumbling about their lack of success in fishing, they look up and there's a lone figure on the shore. And that person calls out to them, caught any fish? And they said, no. He said, well, try again. And they do. And there's so many fish that the boat is about to sink. Peter realizes that that lone figure on the shore is Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. The Lord. He jumps out of the boat, swims to shore. The other disciples get the boat to the shore. And when they get there, guess what Jesus had done for them? He had cooked breakfast. He wanted to eat with them again. It's just so good to sit and eat with people that you love. One more story comes to mind. It happened on that very first Sunday when two of Jesus' disciples were traveling from Jerusalem back to their home in Emmaus. Not knowing for sure that Jesus had been resurrected, they had heard some wild stories. But you know, people don't come back from the dead. And they were having trouble believing that. They were upset because they had thought Jesus would be the Messiah and evidently 
he wasn't. They were joined on the road by another man who began talking with them. And as he began talking with them and they were explaining what was going on in their lives, he began to expose the scriptures. He began to make the scriptures plain to them that this is exactly what was supposed to happen. The Messiah was to die and he would rise again. When they got to the village of Emmaus where they lived, they invited this stranger in with them. And it was only when he sat down to eat with them And he picked up the bread and he blessed it. That their eyes were opened and they realized they were eating with Jesus. This table, this meal, invites us to look back at the cross and to remember how he died. But this meal also invites us to look around at the present and realize that Jesus still enjoys eating with his family, that he promises to be with us today, and that the eating of the bread and drinking of this wine, we realize that our good friend, our brother, our Savior is here. So as we come to this table in a few moments, let's look back, but let's look around. Let's feel his presence, and perhaps like those two disciples in Emmaus, maybe this time our eyes will be opened and we will see our Lord. From Luke chapter 24, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and then rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And as he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Amen. You know, our ritual of taking communion, the way that we actually go about it, it's a little odd, isn't it? I mean, we take the tray in our hands and grab a a little bit of that bread and then we pass it along. And and then later we grab the tray of grape juice and we take a sip of it and we pass it along. Um, Especially on mornings when the bread has been homemade and it's flaky and delicious. I I just want to eat that whole thing. Um, But apparently that's not something we do. Uh, That wouldn't be very courteous anyway. And so I do what we all do. I get that little piece of bread and I eat it and I pass it along. Um, And I'm not going to lie, at 11 o'clock in the morning, that's usually just enough food to remind me of how hungry I am. And it's always right before the sermon too. Communion then is rather, uh, it's rarely a satisfying experience for me. 
But honestly, I doubt that the Lord's Supper has ever truly been a satisfying experience. After Jesus was taken up into heaven, his disciples would continue to meet together and they'd gather around a meal. And especially after these times of eating with the resurrected Jesus, these meal times together, well, there was something missing. Their friend was gone. Their Lord and their teacher was not there with them. And I know that they had faith that when they met together, especially uh, to eat this meal in the name of Jesus, that Jesus was with them, spiritually present among them. But, you know, that's not really the same thing, is it? So even if we were to take this uh, wine here and this bread and, and go and eat a big lunch together and have communion in the context of a meal it still wouldn't be the same. There would still be something missing. You see, when we come to the table, uh, the bread and the wine, they remind us of the cross. And we have faith that Jesus is present here, joining with us and communing with us. But what is faith after all? Faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. It's the conviction of things that are not seen. Well, you know what? I want to see Jesus. I want to see Him and serve Him the way that He serves us. I want to wash His feet. Sometimes I just want to see with my eyes our Lord. And so no matter how delicious this bread is, or how rich this cup, no matter how nourished I am spiritually by Christ's presence, I am not fully satisfied by the Lord's Supper. But I don't think that we're supposed to be. Jesus, at His last Passover supper with His disciples, on the night of His betrayal, He had taken the bread and He had... uh, broken it. And he started the meal off by saying this, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. You see, the Lord's Supper points us forward to the day when Christ comes back in his glory to draw us into his reign. The kingdom that began in Jesus' ministry will be fulfilled in His return. And the Apostle John gives us a vision of this in Revelation. He talks of Jesus coming down as a bridegroom, ready to grab hold of His bride, the church. And John writes, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There is going to be a feast. So this table, it does draw us back to the memory of the foot of the cross where Christ's glory was displayed in His voluntary death. And this table draws us in faith into the presence of the risen Lord where we can see His glory all around us. But this table also draws us forward in hope. In hope of Christ's return, 
where His glory will be our glory and where we will eat and drink in the marriage feast of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb.